Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. Since the dawn of time, people have gone to work. Like, if you think back over history when people were more nomadic, basically the, the deal was if you didn't work, then you're not going to eat. You have to go out and work to hunt or to fish for your food. And it was just time consuming. You basically work to live. Well, as people moved away from being nomads and started owning land and settling into land, work shifted a little bit. People would work the land. They would plant things and harvest them. And they'd raise animals on the land. And anyone who has lived or worked on a farm knows all that's pretty hard work. It's a sun-up to sundown endeavor. And, and actually, you see some like gender splits there. Once people got land, then men would start working the, the outdoor work. Um, and women would stay inside and maybe cook or take care of, of children. There's sort of a division of labor that happened. And in the last few hundred years, some things have shifted. The Industrial Revolution pulled us out of farms and into factories. We stopped being connected to our food sources and working the land. And we started making other things like books and shoes and cars. But what I'm wondering now is, like, with this new shift to, like, this information economy, like, does anybody work anymore? Like, does anyone actually – I know people work, but do they, does anyone actually make anything like, is everyone in the world becoming some sort of, like, global design brand strategist architect who specializes in synergistic team building and corporate wellness, you know? But part of me gets why it's becoming this way. The economy is relatively good. And since we don't have to spend so much energy, like, foraging for food, we end up trying to do these jobs that do so much more than pay the bills. In a culture where that does not provide a whole lot of meaning, we're looking for a job to do that for us. And work is important. A job matters. And considering on average in the U.S., if you work, you know, all of your adult life or, uh, until whatever, until retirement, you're, you're going to work about 90,000 hours, which is a full one-third of your life. You will spend that working. So it's important to think about what that time really is all about and what it's for. So we're continuing our series today called Climb, and we're talking about how we climb mountains in life. Pulled the idea from David Brooks in his book, The Second Mountain, and he basically gives a, this, this idea that the first mountain that most people try to climb is a mountain of success. It's career, spouse, house, kids, pets, all that kind of stuff. And much of that's fine. It's not bad stuff. I'm a fan of a lot of that stuff. But just uh, I just think that as, as many have thought before me, uh, many people thought before me, man, there's just more to life than all of that stuff. So there's this second mountain to climb in life. It's a mountain of significance and meaning and purpose and connection and community. And so for the last few weeks, what we've been saying is we need to climb the second mountain. And so we've talked about ways to do that. We've talked about faith as a reliable guide to get us up the trail. We talked about the value of a base camp, the, the community of friends for the journey. And today I want to talk about how we can shift from the concept of career and move over to the concept of vocation or calling. Now, in the church, the idea of calling shows up quite a bit. When I became a pastor in my 20s, people would talk to me back then and they talked to me about my calling, you know, and they would say, oh, you know, being a pastor is a hard job. Make sure you feel called to be a pastor. And that's kind of weird, right? Like, I doubt many people use that language with you for your career choice. I mean, 
did people say to you, make sure you feel called to be a doctor or make sure you feel called to be a barista or make sure you feel called to be a YouTube sensation? Like, no, it's, it's weird. But in the church, we have long had this idea that followers of God are people who are called by him. And we talk about not just jobs or work or career. We talk about vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. So when we say that you have discovered your vocation, we are saying you've been called by something greater than yourself. Author David Brooks says it this way, a vocation is not a career. A career is something you choose. A vocation is something that summons you. Now that really is a good concept to think about because climbing the first mountain is a mountain of self. You're trying to make you better. You're trying to make something of your life. You're trying to leave your mark in your career field or whatever. The second mountain is a mountain where we move away from ourselves. We move from selfish to selfless, where we stop seeing things in terms of what I can get from me and see it more like what I'm being called to do for others. So let's talk vocation or calling. I want to do this in two ways. I want to talk to Christians specifically about our, what, our, like, what our general calling is from God in this life. And then I want to talk to everyone about maybe our more specific calling in life. When Jesus walked this earth, he specifically called a group of men and began training them. Not for a job per se, but more like for a life purpose and mission. Listen to how he did it. In Matthew 4, Jesus is walking alongside the shores of Galilee, a beautiful lake in northern Israel, when he comes across two guys who are fishing. And listen to what happens. I want to read it to you. All right, Matthew 4, let's look at this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I think this is kind of a weird scene, and it's one of those things when you read it, you just wish there were some more details. Like, Jesus shows up, and, and he's a rabbi, he's a religious teacher, and so it wasn't so unusual for people like that to walk around and call people to follow them, and they would follow him, you know. Um, but he tells these guys, I will make you fishers of men. And I'm sure they thought that was kind of weird. I mean, they were fishermen. And then he says, fishers of men. And, and, and they're like, that's weird, Jesus. Like, I don't know what that is, and I'm not sure I even want to do it as a job. And it doesn't sound lucrative and, you know, just all these questions of just like, hey, just because I'm good at catching fish doesn't mean I can catch people and I don't even know what that means. It's weird. And yet it says at once they leave their nets and their fishing poles and they follow him. I mean, when the master calls, I guess you just go. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that fishing job's just kind of lame or maybe there's something we could learn there with the fact that they just go when they're called. Jesus calls these guys and gives them a mission and a purpose. And he basically said, I want to raise your sights. You're spending your life catching fish and making that dollar, and that's good, and you need to make some money. But there's something else going on this, in this life, and I want you to see it. There's more to life than just putting in a good day's work. Now, many people have discovered that truth in history. That's not revolutionary. But look at where Jesus goes with it. He takes these guys and about a 100 others, and he works with this crew of men and women for three years. He teaches them about this thing called 
the kingdom of God where they live in a country and a culture and a time, but they're actually working in and for a greater mission and greater vision. They're trying to build God's kingdom here on earth, a kingdom of love and peace, a, a kingdom where we know God and we invite others to know him. Jesus gives his followers this mission pretty concretely before he leaves them. And what he tells them has been understood as really the marching orders, in a sense, for anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Listen to it. Matthew uh, chapter, so this is Matthew 28, and this is, this is a, really a famous, uh, famous text that, that deals with the Great Commission, the commission Jesus gave to us before he leaves. Verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's talking to his disciples, his closest followers, telling them to go out and make disciples, to make more. This is the higher calling that, if you're a Christian, you have this from Jesus. It really is this straightforward. Let me explain it this way. We are disciples who are called to make disciples wherever we go. We are disciples. We are supposed to learn from Jesus and follow him and try to live our lives as he would live them, live our life if he was living in our shoes. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's like being an apprentice. We're supposed to make disciples. That means we pour out our lives for the sake of others. We introduce our friends and family to Jesus. And when we meet someone who wants to follow him and get to know God, we pour into them everything that we know. That's what it means to make disciples. So where do we do this? What's the context? Well, we do it wherever we are. Jesus says, go into all the world. But it can actually just as easily be translated as, as you are going. Wherever you go, make disciples. So what are the implications of this? One of the things it means is that your small group at church is a place to make disciples. It's a place to pray and study and learn together. But it's not the only place. Your job at school is a place to make disciples. Your job at Capital One is a place to make disciples. Your job at the hospital is a place to make disciples. Your sales role is a place to make disciples. Wait, what? I can't. What does that mean, Chris? I I can't talk about Jesus at work. Okay, but if we're being disciples of Jesus and really living by the principles he calls us to, doesn't that eventually show up in the way we go about our jobs? I think it does. Topher talked about that up here a few weeks ago. But I think we need to keep the bigger picture in mind. Whatever you get paid and whoever pays you, at the end of the day, that money is fuel for the actual mission you were on. In the kingdom of God, we leverage money for kingdom purposes. We use money to serve God and bless others. So ostensibly, your employer pays you because you do work for them, but in some ways, they are just fueling your greater mission. And that's where Christianity really helps us in this life. If you're a follower of Jesus... You are on a different mission. You are fishers of men. You are going to heaven when you die, and you are spending time here on earth trying to make take as many people with you as you can. Therefore, success in American terms doesn't mean as much to you. Disappointments in the here and now aren't as disappointing because we are climbing an entirely different mountain than the culture around us. We are disciples who are making disciples wherever we go. Now, let me shift to this other idea about calling in life that isn't just the general Christian call to discipleship. There is on us a greater call that I believe comes from God about what we are supposed to be doing. God has uniquely wired everyone in this room. We all have some things that we're pretty good at, like certain talents and abilities, and then there's things we're not so good at, right? 
Um, and, and we all have these different gifts that God has given. And the point of these gifts from God is to use them for other people. Listen to the way Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So Peter, that, that same Peter that Jesus called, who leaves his fishing pole and starts following Jesus around, he reminds us much later in his life as an old man, he says, hey, we all have something God has given to us. And there's this stewardship principle. We're supposed to be stewards of that thing and use it for the benefits of others. So whatever God has poured into you, it is not just for you. It is for other people. Author David Brooks, in discussing how vocation or calling is a feature of our climb up the second mountain, says it this way. People with vocations don't ask, what do I want from life? They ask, what is life demanding me to do? What gap is there in my specific circumstances around me that demands my skill set? It's not found by looking inside you for your passion. People have studied this. 80% of you don't have a passion. It's found by looking outward, by being sensitive to avoid a need, and then answering the chance to be of use. Notice how different that is from what we tell people today and how to make, about how to make an impact. We say things like discover your passion and then people go into jobs as like project managers or data analysts or whatever and they're like, I'm not sure this is my passion and they get super frustrated because we told them how important it is to be following the passion and they just don't know what it is. So what does vocation look like? What does it look like that you and I might even have a unique calling by God that we are wired up for something in this life? Because I think a lot of us have a sense that this is true. A lot of us have this sense of, I'm supposed to be doing something more than just taking up space on the planet. I'm created for a purpose. How can we discover that calling? Well, in my own experience, calling is something that sort of shows up over time, or maybe is best seen in retrospect. I wouldn't have told you at age 24 that I was wired up to lead a church in the city. That was something that kind of developed over time. And that is true with many people I know who are doing meaningful work that they love. A calling is not like something, someone like yelling at you, like, you have to do this. I think it's more like a whisper in the back of your mind, and you hear it every so often, and it keeps popping up, and you know it's there, and eventually you just can't ignore it anymore. So let me give you just three ideas about discovering your own calling in life. These are three keys that a lot of people have pointed to. The first idea is affinity. And the question to ask yourself here is, what people needs do I resonate with? So all around you are needs. There are ways that the world is just not great. There are bits of earth that do not look like heaven, and they're kind of a mess. And you see things that aren't what they should be. And so what do you see when you look out there? Now, when I say, what needs do you resonate with? It's this idea, resonate kind of has this idea of like a vibration. What stirs you up and almost makes you shake when you think about it? I've seen people resonate with human trafficking victims, single moms, drug addicts, prisoners, kids in the foster care system. I've even seen people get excited about mentoring kids or about getting people on bicycles. There's all sorts of stuff that you might resonate with. Think about for a moment... Uh, to kind of give you an example of this, I want to point you to um, the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Acts. He, he, he's teaching, he's traveling around starting churches around the Mediterranean, and he goes into Athens, which was a religious city, a sort of philosophical and religious kind of city. And in Athens today, and in his day as well, there were lots of statues and monuments and, and sort of religious structures. And, and Paul walks in there and he sees it, 
and listen to the way it describes what he sees there. Um, Acts chapter 17, starting with, with verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. All right, Paul walks into Athens and what he sees is idolatry. He sees people worshiping everything but God. And it says, I love the way it says this, it says his spirit is provoked within him. Do you know what that's like? Have you ever been somewhere and you've just been unsettled by a place? Like, it feels like there's evil in the air. There are places where you can just feel the darkness. I I remember being in Bangkok, Thailand, like uh, 15 years ago or something. And there's just something unsettling there to me. Um, there's... I remember we got in the cab and the cab driver like wants to take us to some brothel or something like that. And I was like, nope, yeah, not interested. Thanks. Um, And my spirit was provoked. And I thought, man, there's just something off here. Paul may have felt that way as he looked around Athens and realized that people there are so far from God and are, by extension, they are far from who they were created to be. But for a lot of people, we might feel that, but we would just kind of pass on by, like, Lots of people go to Vegas and they don't really question the scene there. They just go along with it. They don't try to fix it. And yet many lives are destroyed in Vegas. What happens in Vegas doesn't just stay in Vegas. Relationships are ruined there. But few people are going to challenge it, right? Paul didn't let it go when he got to Athens. Why? Because he was uniquely called to speak up. He was good with words. A city of idolatry was a good place for Paul to speak up and challenge. Which brings me to the second piece of calling. If the first issue is affinity, or what are you drawn to, the second one is ability. And the question to ask here is, what are my abilities? What are you good at? It's one thing to be fired up about something, or but it's another thing altogether to have the right kind of skills and abilities to do anything about it. I mean, I may want to help people worship God, but if I'm not a good singer, I probably shouldn't be on the church worship team. Like, don't give me a microphone. I may see a void of leadership in an organization, but if nobody actually wants to follow me, I may not be a good leader. I may see a problem that needs an efficient system, but what if I'm terrible at designing systems? It's helpful to know yourself. This is where things like the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and the Desk Profile and Spiritual Gift Inventories and all that kind of stuff, this is where they have some value. Self-awareness is a valuable thing. Knowing what you can do and what you can't do is part of hearing God's call. If God is calling you to something, he will equip you for it. As you look at your life, your background, your experience, your education, what are your abilities? What are your strengths? And the third question to consider around calling is opportunity. And the question to ask yourself is this, where does the community tell me I'm needed? Now, the New Testament talks about the church as being a body. And just like your body has many parts, the the head, the arm, the feet, the spleen, whatever, in the same way, the body of Christ, this, this church community, has all sorts of people in it who do different things. And sometimes the community challenges you to step up or step into a new role because they see something in you. Sometimes it takes people who are not you to look at you and go, hey, here's this thing I see in you. You are capable of so much more. Sometimes we need encouragement to step out of the shadows and give our time and energy towards something greater. Sometimes the calling that you will hear will come through a person who sees you and invites you to become something greater. This idea of calling 
truly is a big deal, especially for those who want to climb the second mountain. There are paths up the mountain that people have all taken before, but sometimes you have to blaze a new trail. You have to say, I'm going to take a different path because I have been summoned. Now, here's what I'm hoping. My goal here this morning is not that everyone would go out and, and, and quit their jobs. Please don't do that. What I'm hoping is that these questions and this idea of calling will make your ears prick up. We talk about like those who march to the beat of a different drummer. And what I'm hoping is that maybe as you think through this, you actually start to hear the sound of different drums. Look, I know how this resonates with a lot of people in this room. So many people that I talk to are just restless. They wonder if what they're doing is enough. They wonder if what they're doing is what they should be doing. They wonder if they're in their sweet spot or if they're somehow missing it. And I'm not here to pile on and make anyone feel worse. My hope is that you actually walk out of here today with some new ways of thinking through this. Where do you see affinity, ability, and opportunity coming together in your life? And listen, this applies to people of all ages. Don't tell me at age 70 that you are done and that you missed your calling and you coulda, shoulda, woulda. As long as you have blood in your veins and breath in your lungs, you can climb. You can set your intention and direction. And I heard a story a while back of a guy who was 71 years old, and he had a written 25-year plan for his life. Can you imagine that, having a 25-year plan at age 71? I love it. Here's the truth. The call of God is a call on your whole life, not just a call of a season of it. So no matter if you're starting out in high school or your retirement age or you're anything in between, I truly believe God is calling you to use the one life you have for a greater purpose.